Well, if you have a Bible, join me in the book of Romans and the 8th chapter. Romans chapter 8. We're speaking on the subject during these few Sundays of this time of the year on the born-again identity, what it means to be born again, what it looks like from a biblical perspective. We'll be able to answer this question biblically. Last week we looked at these scriptures, the first part of Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. The good news of the gospel is not that God set aside the righteous requirements of the law. Not that he just decided, okay, they didn't do well enough, let's just set it aside and welcome everybody to heaven. The gospel teaches that God has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law in us through Jesus. That it, what, there is therefore now no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Just in the days of Noah, there was one safe place to go. To uh, escape the wrath of God, that was the ark. And just that way, there's one safe place to go to be rescued from God's wrath against sin, and that is in Christ. Now, this does present us with a little bit of a quandary. In fact, it it was a frequent criticism of the Apostle Paul in his preaching, if you've read his letters. And it's this, if we're going to be forgiven... If Jesus uh, has paid the penalty for our sin, if God's sort of given us a credit card of grace with no credit limit, here's the question. Why not just go sin it up? I mean, why not just go out there and do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, and if God's going to forgive us anyway? See, that's, that's kind, of a, kind of a impolite way of, of putting it. But that is the way some people think. Since Jesus forgives us, Why not just go do what we want? And that's an interesting qualifier, by the way. Do what we want. And you've got to hear the whole whole verse. Walk, uh, fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, comma, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So let's continue on. We want the whole chapter of Romans. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian, and particularly it takes a whole chapter of Romans 8 to define what being born again means. And so that's where we'll pick up, and we'll try to answer that question together. Father, first of all, we pray for anyone in our midst who may be under this assumption that because you've forgiven us, we're free to still be a slave to sin. So, Father, help us, correct us, rebuke us, exhort us, Encourage us, teach us, show us we need your help. And Father, just as in Paul's day that the Apostle Paul was criticized about preaching this gospel that would just lead to to chaos if it were true, help us to have a true understanding of what life really is, what being born again really means, what being redeemed looks like, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 11 years ago, Julie and I got married. I pledged to be faithful to her, to never leave her, to never forsake her. And can you imagine Julie getting up on uh, each, each morning and saying, because Brandon loves me so much and because he's always going to be faithful to me, I'll let him demonstrate it, and she just pops me in my mouth every morning. You said, that, that'd be awfully strange. It's an awful strange thing for Julie to do for me to prove my faithfulness to her by remaining faithful to her after she's popped me pretty good. 
say, that's crazy. Is it not equally crazy to think, well, God loves me, God's forgiven me, God's going to be faithful. He says he'll never leave me or forsake me, so I'll just go out with my grace credit card and sin up to the max. It's equally unthinkable, at least it should be, for us and was certainly that way for the Apostle Paul. So let's, let's read in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 5 now. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the first thing that we're going to note here is there's a contrast between two things. You saw two words that Paul uses over and over. It's important for us to understand. He uses the word flesh, right? And he uses the word, what other word does he use in contrast? Spirit. So all through these verses, he begins to make a contrast. And what we need to do is we need to look at the contrast, and then we need to look at ourselves and figure out which one of these is, is us. Because you're either in the flesh or you're either in the spirit. You're born into the flesh. When you're born as a son or a daughter of Adam, you are born spiritually dead in the flesh. That's why, again, we don't take children and teach them to be selfish. We don't teach children and teach them to be angry. We don't teach children and teach them to be greedy or mean or want all the toys for themselves. They're born that way. You have to teach a child to share, right? If we just took the camera and went back to the nursery and went in the, went in the window this morning, what you would see is they're hungry, they need changing, and they're selfish and they're also cute by the way which is which is good that god also made little children cute or it'd be really bad news right no you you have to teach a child to to share you have to teach a child to put other people why because we're born in the flesh you're born fully capable of sinning because you're born in sin now again as we said last week the first thing god does for us is he grants us the law so that we can see how sinful we are Again, if you get on the interstate and you're going I-95, you're headed up to Virginia, you'll pass a sign that says speed limit, 70 miles an hour. Why do they put that there? So you can look at that and then you can look at your odometer. Now, here's what most people do. They look at their odometer and say, well, I'm not going too far over 70, right? So I think I'm in the safe zone. And that's what a lot of people do with the scripture. The scripture says this, and then you'll try to measure your life. What What the design of the law is that we'll look at the law, and it says things like do not lie. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not commit adultery. Have no other gods. Keep the Sabbath holy. It says all these things. So you look at the law, and then you look at your life, and what should happen is, man, I did not measure up to that at all. But what often happens is, I measure up to that better than some. And so here's two paths, pathways of lostness, either unrighteousness or self-righteousness. Now, good news is Romans 8 is written by a recovering self-righteous addict, the Apostle Paul, because the Lord revealed to him that he was in the flesh. Let me just give you a couple of descriptions that Paul uses about life in the flesh. He says to set the mind on the flesh is, what's the scripture say here? Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is, is death, number one. You know, the flesh makes all sorts of promises that end in dead roads, dead ends rather. I don't know what a dead road is, but it ends in that too, I guess. So set the mind on the flesh is death. Now, I want you to look at verse 6, that, that word, that phrase there, to set. In the Greek, what it means is, is, uh, is to fix. To fix your mind on the things of the flesh is, is death. 
what you think, how you make decisions, the pathway of the mind is either towards the flesh or, to, or towards the spirit. Now, the evidence of the mind set on the flesh are all around us, right? Just listen to the music, look at the entertainment and sports. It's, it's everywhere. We're drowning in a culture in lewd humor, pornography, and, and violence. I mean, just get the New York Times today, open it up to the bestseller list, and look at the books that are the bestsellers. And you'll see what we're talking about. The mind that is set on the flesh. First of all, it's death. And then look what else it says. It says it's hostile to God. In the flesh, we fly by the 70 mile an hour speed limit and say, who are they to say that we can only go 70 miles per hour? The mindset on the flesh is it's hostile to God. We know what the word hostile means, right? It means there's no peace. There's, there, there's no desire. There's no communication. And some people feel that way. As soon as you want to talk about scripture and holiness and righteousness, they're absolutely hostile to it. Who are you to tell me that? Who is it? And it just goes on and on. But why? There's absolute hostility to God and to the law. And as the scripture says in John 1, the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Here's why. Because their deeds are evil. Listen to trans, uh, excuse me, Psalm 36, verse 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Here's the result. Therefore, there is no fear of God before his eyes. So first of all, here in the contrast, we see that the, to set the mind on the flesh is, is death. To set the mind on the flesh leads to hostility to God. Look next, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now, what we need to do is not have an expectation that those who live in the flesh are going to submit to God's law. He just said that that cannot happen. It can be really frustrated in your life to look around in an unbelieving culture and say, why don't they do this? Why don't they behave this way? Read the scripture again. What's it say? They don't want to. And even if they wanted to, they wouldn't be able to. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I stepped on, um, I stepped on a scale. And the, uh, how, can we, how can we say this? Uh, the absolute value of the number that was reflected back to me was of a greater value than the number had ever been in my, in my life. And so a little bit later on in that day, I was, uh, I was at Target with the children, and we were looking at some books. And, 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 and over in the book section, they had a book, and it grabbed my attention. Now, when I show you this book, I, I, we'll just talk about it. it here's, here, here's the book. Bob Harper, I'm not real familiar with him. I think he's on like the, the, the TV show, The Skinny Rules. And it says, now listen, here's what it said. The simple, non-negotiable principles, uh, see, the, they, they got the big 30% off sticker. That kind of drew me in too. Uh, I can't read exactly what it says. The light's kind of reflecting. But anyway... Here's what it says on the back. Losing weight is now as simple as one, two, three. And here's, here's the skinny rules. It's a real simple concept. You open it up and, and he's got, uh, he, he's got uh, 20 rules. <laughs> so, right. The Lord himself only had 10, right? But he's got, he's got 20. <laughs> Rule number one. Drink a large glass of water before every meal. No excuses. I said, I can do that. Rule number two, don't drink your calories. What's he mean? Throw out the soda, throw out the sugar drinks. I said, I, I, you know, I kind of like Coca-Cola. I mean, especially 
with a cheeseburger. <laughs> we can go on down the list of the rules. Get rid of those white potatoes. I said, does that mean French fries? Make one day a week meatless. Did he really just say that? Get rid of fast foods and fried foods. I said, well, I thought he said this was simple. And here's what I learned. I have a mind that is hostile to the skinny rules. Okay. It does not submit to the skinny rules. And are you ready for it? Indeed, it can not. Is pretty much what I've discovered. Now, let's give credit where credit is due. If you abide by these, you will get, you will get skinny. The problem is, <laughs> I do it for about a, I was going to say day. I do it for about a meal. And I'll tell you, I drink the big glass of water. I dug the no fries. Oh, let's get the fruit cup. That's at Chick-fil-A. And then, and then let's get the no dressing, no this, that, or the other. And then I'd eat lunch that way. And I'd be so proud. I'd say, man, this is great. We're abiding by the skinny rules. Bob Harper was here. He'd say, good job, young man. And then it got to be about 2.30. And they're just awakened in me. This desire for all the very things that it told me not to get. I mean, I said, man, the waffle fries, the honey mustard sauce. And now, now here's what you can do. Oh, just try harder, try harder, do more, do more. And this, by the way, is unfortunately how some people believe Christianity is supposed to go. Try harder, do more, try, let's just, just stay, stay with it, stay with it. And then I'll just tell you what, my appetite over and over overcame me. And before long, I began to say, well, I know this is what it says. Here's the 20 rules. Let's just try, maybe we can keep 10 today. And the 10 we didn't keep today, we'll trade off. And we'll keep those 10 tomorrow. And then we'll break the other 10. And then you just start to play mind games with yourself. Yes, this here, here's what it says, but here's what it means. And here's what it says, and here's what it means for most people. But most people don't have this that I have, or their metabolism is different from me, and Bob was writing to them, and he wasn't writing to me. And you see what I'm saying. This is how people think when it comes to holiness and righteousness. Yeah, most people ought not to sit in front of their computer and look at this, but in my case, here's why it's different for me. And I know most people shouldn't gossip, but, but, but you know, we get together, and it's not really gossip. Yeah, we're throwing everybody under the the bus with the way that we're talking and if they were here we wouldn't really talk this way but we'll keep that rule tomorrow and it goes on and on and on and you realize what Paul says is true the mind that is set on the flesh it's hostile to God it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot so what's the answer is it we just throw in the towel said man we can't do it that's not where you throw in the towel that is where you begin though blessed are the poor in spirit theirs is the kingdom of God and what we need to know is the law is not what's pressing in on us to conform us to obedience. It's revealing to us, you don't obey, and if you're honest enough with yourself for a moment, you don't even want to obey, and then we'll take it a step further. Even if you could muster up the desire to want to obey, you still couldn't, you still couldn't do it. That's what Paul's saying here. You have these desires at war in you. And there's only one thing that can overcome the flesh. And he says it over and over and over and over. And what does he say? The Spirit. Now, some of us are frustrated. Not today. We've been frustrated for months, not weeks, 
and years in our Christian life because we've been trying to overcome the flesh with the other flesh. And it just doesn't work, does it? It just doesn't work. You make it a meal, spiritually speaking. You make it about a day. And this time I didn't lust, or this time I didn't gossip, or this time I didn't get angry. But then the next time comes and you're just right back where we, where we were. So, we see we cannot please God in the flesh, but he gives this contrast in the spirit. Now, now in the flesh, it's death. Death to all these do, uh, do more, and I'm going to try harder. You just realize, man, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not going anywhere. Notice the contrast. Set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set, on, set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Implication. Mindset on the flesh. I'm sorry, mindset on the spirit. It does do those things. Now just look what he says, verse 9. Here's the contrast. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And here's a really important word. You ready for it? If. Here's where we got to take some inventory. We talked about last week, recalibrating. Okay? You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Did you hear that? Here's the marker of conversion. Here's the marker of the new birth. Not all these things that we sign up, sign, so, so to speak. It's not your membership card. It's not this, that, or this. Here's the mark of the born again. The Spirit of God dwells in you. He says, just to make it crystal clear, if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So first of all, we see this contrast, and it's important for you to see and discern the contrast and to discern what's going on in you. Now, full disclosure here, if you're in the flesh, all you have is the flesh. That's it. Those who are lost, those who are dead in their trespass and sin, those who are you know, lost as a goose in a snowstorm, all they are is in the flesh. You, if you're born again now, you're in the spirit, but... The old man still is present, too. And here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul means. Now we've got the spirit and a decaying flesh. Here's the responsibility. Day in, day out, hour after hour after hour, to put to death the flesh by the spirit. Now what does that mean? Well, let's talk about it for a moment. How do you do that? Let's see the contrast let me give you a couple of characteristics of life in the Spirit so that you can use these as a measure to understand, am I in the flesh or am I in the Spirit? So I'm just going to follow along the argument that he makes here. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So what's the emphasis here? First of all, let me, give you, let me give you some characteristics of life in the Spirit. First of all, death is no longer scary. The world around us, while we might say those who are set their minds on the flesh, they won't think about death, and they'll think of it any, any way they can to avoid it. Anything to put it off. Verse 10 and 11, he says it twice, your mortal body. Now, you can try to fix it up, you can try to paint it, change it, whatever, but your body is mortal. Now, I think the Scripture does say, take care of your body, but the Scripture says it's profitable to be physically fit, but godliness is of greater value. Do you know this? The mortal body is wearing down. Anybody wake up this morning and say amen to that, right? 
Rolled out of bed, shoulder, knee, back, hurts. It's your mortal body. It's wasting, it's wasting away. And it's not going to get better and better and better, right? Now, if, if, if you need help with mortal body wasting away, just get you a big mirror, right? And look in the mirror. Go, go to the drugstore and see what aisle you're on now, right? Say, I used to not even know this aisle existed. Now I've got something that helps me sleep at night or something that does this. Because over time, what's happening? The mortal body's breaking down. But what's he say here? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, what does that mean? That your body starts to be better and better and better? Not your mortal body. Not your mortal body. It means, it means your inner man. Paul says elsewhere, the outer man's wasting away, but the inner man's being renewed day by day. And the only way that I know how to say this is to say it this way. As a pastor, at times, I've been in the hospital room. I've been in the room, and there's a person in the bed, and they are literally hours away from death, but they are as alive as they've ever been. Why? The Spirit of God is in them. Reminds me of Francis Schaeffer, the great, one of the great saints and theologians of the last century. They said when he was near death, he was near death, he couldn't speak anymore. His great teacher couldn't teach anymore. What he'd do, though, is he'd ask them to give him his Bible, and he'd take his Bible and put it right here and go like this. He'd just barely be able to move his fingers. What's he saying? I'm alive. I'm not about to die. I'm about to walk through that door and be more alive than I've ever been. And those moments like that, you, you hold... You hold, uh, you hold tight and close what's precious to you. And I can just tell you, uh, uh, I don't think anybody in that moment is going to say, where's my cell phone? Let me hold it tight. Where's my iPad? Let me just, let me just hold it one more time. You know what you're going to ask for? You might ask for a hand. Your wife, your child might ask for the scripture. Now, I'll just tell you this. It's an encouragement for you. Whatever is going to be true that you want to hold in that moment, hold it tight Today. Today. Don't be distracted by shallow little things. First of all, the spirit life. Life in the spirit. There's no fear of death. There's no avoiding the subject. There's no putting it off. Secondly, well before I move to the second thing, Psalm 90 verse 1. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Secondly, not only is death no longer uh, scary, secondly, sin is no longer our masters. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers, we're not de- we're, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For who, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So, secondly, death, excuse me, a sin is not no longer our master. Now, listen to me. Our sinful inclinations have been dethroned, but they've not been destroyed. Sin's no longer your master, but you can still listen to the voice uh, of the sin nature and obey it. But it's not enthroned anymore. You have been set free. Now you have to exercise your freedom. What does that look like? Listen to this scripture. Matthew chapter 5 is the Lord Jesus. He's talking about a particular sin. In this case, he's talking about the sin of lust. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to, to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. What is he saying? He's saying you're in the fight now, but it is a fight. Used to be it wasn't even a, con- a, a conflict. You're just living up in the flesh. Now, he says, if you're going to put it to death, if you're going to put the sin nature to death, it's going to take some effort. And here's how sin has to be dealt with. You ready for it? Sin has to be dealt with and killed immediately, consistently, decisively. Don't get this, don't get this mindset again. Now, he's going to forgive me anyway. If you've got a problem with lust, here's what Jesus is saying. Uh, you need to cut it off completely. What does that look like? What does that mean? In our day, it might mean you take your computer monitor and you throw it in the garbage can. You say, man, that thing worth $1,200. It's better to lose the $1,200 in your whole soul be thrown into hell. And here's what he's saying is the conflict is a mark that you belong. I'm not suggesting that you're always victorious in the conflict and you don't succumb to temptation every once in a while. But I'll tell you this, if there's a sinful pattern in your life and you're not wrestling against it, you're not fighting it, you're not wanting to be done with it, you're not wanting to be free from it, then how can the Spirit of God be alive in you? Because when the Spirit of God comes to live in you, you know what he says? This has got to go. And it's got to go now. And you might throw it out now, today. You know what? Tomorrow you get up and you want it back. And the Spirit of God's going to say, no, you've got to, still, you've got to still be cut off from it. You've got to deal with sin immediately, decisively, consistently. And my encouragement again to you is, if the conflict's going on, it's evidence that you belong. It's like rust. A little piece of rust. If you don't deal with it, it will spread and Take over. Say, man, that fight's tough. It's absolutely tough. That's why we have verse 15. (laughs) You did not receive the spirit of slavery. Please hear that if you're born again. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And we we, we quote this scripture a lot, and, and, and very frequently I find we kind of quote it a little bit out of context. The context is fear. He says, you didn't, receive a, uh, uh, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, and that vernacular in those days meant, meant Daddy. Now, in my, in, 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 uh, in my house, I've learned to uh, distinguish tone of voice with my children. They say daddy all the time. Sometimes they say, daddy. That means they want something. Daddy? That means they're doing something wrong and they want to know if I'm nearby. And then there's... I can't even scream. I don't have a good screaming voice. <laughs> daddy! Afraid. Fearful. Unsure. Scared. And here's what he's saying. We didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Father, are you even there? Father, do you even care? Uh, uh, Abba, are you even aware? No, but a spirit of adoption as sons that we cry out, Abba, Father. No temptation is given unto you except which is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and he will provide a way of escape. He provides a way of escape. The problem is sometimes we just don't want to escape. Abba. Here, here's, in, in conclusion, 
Third, we're included in God's family. So you hear in these, one, there's no more fear of death. Two, sin's no longer the master. We're fighting against it. And then third, we're included in God's family. To those who did receive him, who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to be called the children of, of God. We're adopted by grace into his family to receive his name, enjoy his blessings, and according to this scripture, receive the inheritance. The Spirit, himself bear, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So in conclusion, what we've been trying to draw from the scriptures, there's a clear contrast between those who live in the flesh and those who live in the spirit. Those who live in the spirit do not fear death, they're not enslaved to sin, and they're eternally a part of God's family. So that's where we'll put our marker down. In anticipation of next week, here's the question. You know, Paul's a lawyer by training and by profession, so he's always anticipating the argument that's going to come against him. And so, 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 so when you read Romans 8, again, it's sort of like listening to one end of a phone conversation. So, so here's where we are at the conclusion, just so we'll pick up here next week. Okay, if I'm in the Spirit, then, then, uh, then my, my mind's life and peace. If I'm in the Spirit, I don't have to fear death anymore. If I'm in the Spirit, I'm no longer enslaved to sin. If, it, if I'm in the Spirit, I'm part of God's family. So does that mean, therefore, that life is going to be really easy and life's going to be really smooth and there's not going to be any waves? And that's where we'll pick up next week when we talk about suffering and how that all fits into to the equation. But before next week, let's stand together. Let's just deal with this week. One thing at a time, right? Now here's how being born again works, is to use this metaphor again, the skinny rules, if, uh, if the, uh, the Bible's sort of the righteous rules, being born again doesn't mean after this happened you take this book and you throw it out. No, now it means, oh, those rules that used to seem so hard, now it's actually what I want to do. Those, those, those things that it says to avoid. Get rid of those white potatoes. I actually want to get rid of those I actually want to get rid of those white potatoes. I'm talking, you understand, metaphorically, right? Rule 17, eat your vegetables. Just do it. And then you go to K&W and you see the vegetables and you say, you know what, that actually looks, that actually looks pretty good. I think I'll take those instead of the white potatoes. Let's pray together. I don't even know if that made any sense. <laughs> Let me ask it to you this way. Your appetite right now, is it an appetite of the flesh or is it an appetite of the spirit? When you leave here, what's the first thing that you want to do? I mean, really, what is it that you want to do? Is it something about the flesh or is it something about the spirit? Father, help us, help us, help us. We need clarity on this issue so we're not self-deceived. We're revealed by our appetites. We're revealed by our desires. Father, those who are in the Spirit, they actually desire the Spirit. They actually long for holiness and righteousness. And it's not burdensome. It's not restricting. It's not holding them back to obey your law. They now realize your law is life. So, Father, make us that way here. Reveal truth to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.